And here we go. Good morning. We are officially live broadcasting from Providence, Rhode Island. And today is Wednesday. Happy Wednesday to you. Hopefully you had a wonderful day yesterday. Maybe you made some money. Maybe you didn't. That's okay. If you have made any money this year whatsoever, or maybe lost money and you're thinking about what does it work and how will that affect my taxes for 2021? Well, today's episode is absolutely for you and you should definitely stick around because we're going to take a look at some incredibly important news around the world. Okay, maybe not around the world, but definitely around the financial world. So yesterday we talked about the LIBOR shifting to SOFR and the question is how does that affect my credit cards and interest rates for that stuff? So we're going to be taking a look into that stuff. We're also going to be looking at some of the important headlines that are happening, including the PPP loans and the fiasco that happened there. We're going to be taking a look at another giant company that is leaving California, and you will never guess where they're going. Okay, if you guess Texas, you are right. But where in Texas? That's important because, hey, Texas is basically size of a freaking continent in some cases. Then we're going to take a look at what's going on with the oil prices because they have dipped for sure and some other additional components. Of course, we're going to be taking a look into the markets, where they are, and we're going to finish the whole session with a little bit of geeking with the charts. All right, y'all, let's do this. We use money daily and we fail to understand the basics of the asset. To refuse to inform yourself is to subscribe to financial tyranny perpetrated not by banks, corporations, government, or technology, but by those of us who use it yet fail to understand it. It is then that we agree to the terms and unknowingly turn our assets into liabilities, allowing our possessions to possess us. But it is time to change. Welcome to Money Geeks. Good morning, welcome, welcome, welcome. Super happy to have you here. Hey, if you're brand new to the whole thing, if you can, do me a favor, subscribe to the channel. You know what to do for the notification stuff. I don't need to tell you. And if you do like the content, smash the like button. If you don't, well, let me know. Put it in the comments, put it in the chat. I do look at that stuff. Okay, so here we go. What is going on with the whole LIBOR switching stuff and how does that affect you and your credit cards? Well, for most of you, you won't notice any difference whatsoever because the, in the US, vast majority of the credit card companies, for example, that's typically where you have to worry about the whole LIBOR and that kind of stuff because we're dealing with the variable rates. So if you have anything with the variable rates, that's the time where you have to actually check it. So even the mortgages with the variable rates, you need to check how they base it. Uh, they have a couple of different methods. One is the U.S. prime rate, which is the predominantly one used in U.S. And then the other one is the LIBOR rate. If they use the prime rate, which is the variable rate that goes up and down all the time, and then they attach the additional X percent. So you'll typically see it in your contract. It will say something like, uh, you know, U.S. prime plus 10 percent or U.S. prime plus 15 percent or U.S. prime. Right. You get it. So that fixed one is actually fixed to the prime and prime is the one that changes which is what makes your rate variable now if it says LIBOR plus 10 percent that's the part where you actually will be needing to hear from your lender from your company that is basically giving you the credit card or variable mortgage 
um, and that kind of stuff that is going to give you some guidance of what that is going to look like and what the reset is going to be. So that's one of the pieces that you need to pay attention. But again, vast majority are going to be prime rate. So for you, there is no worries whatsoever. And we're going to take a look at now the release of PPP loan recipients data release, uh, reveals troubling patterns. And of course it does. Uh, what it ended up happening is that over 100 loans were made to companies where no business name was listed, where uh, were listed as no name available or showed potential uh, data entries. More than 300 companies appeared each to have gotten more than 100, uh, sorry, $10 million in loans through their subsidiaries, even though, even though that more than 10 million was supposed to go for specific industries like food, hospitality, and so on. So that's an interesting piece. Large national banks initially only gave loans to customers with whom they had pre-existing lending relationship. And of course, the small businesses and predominantly businesses owned by minority people of color, for example, without strong banking relationships, found themselves with limited access to these loans. Then we had, of course, persistent question of what was defined as a small business. And of course, after the large businesses went into lobbying season, small business was anything below 500 employees, even though over 98% of businesses actually have less than 100 employees. So what this ended up turning into is, well, you guessed it right. It turned into the fact that the big businesses are the ones who actually got the money and the little guy, well, he is out on the street freezing his or her butt off or their butt off. I'm not judging on the, on the pronouns whatsoever. Hewlett Packard Enterprise to leave Silicon Valley for Texas and they are going to Houston. So, hey, if you're a property investor, if you're considering doing that kind of stuff, well, you definitely want to go into Texas and uh, potentially look into Houston because this could be absolutely huge. So that's one piece to actually pay attention to and understand. So that's one thing that's kind of interesting that is going on. Oil prices. Well, oil prices are actually starting to reverse in its rally as inventories start to balloon. So, of course, they expected that they're going to have 2.358 million barrels and uh, they have 4.14. And what was the response? Well, what ended up happening is that instead of slowing down the production, U.S. ended up going bananas, producing as much as they can. But we're not done yet with the news and information. Employment benefits dropped below poverty line in 13 states. And of course, this relates to what's going on with the Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales. And we are getting reports now that the Americans shopped less and there were fewer of them. Those that did shop, well, they spent about 14% less than the year prior, which makes absolute sense. And the fact that it's only 14% is uh, kind of baffling to me personally. Then we have uh, Airbnb IPO. As you know, they're rolling that puppy out. And uh, this, we talked about the sort of benefits that potentially could be coming out uh, to us as investors. But the valuation they are seeking is nearly $35 billion. That is a huge valuation. And uh, on the other side of the business stuff, well, we have Topshop, which has filed for bankruptcy 
not that long ago. I think it was earlier this week, maybe late last week. Um, and uh, there's about 25,000 jobs that are at a risk of uh, basically going away, adding more trouble to the whole thing. On the Zoom side of things, finally, finally, the analysts and the investors have caught up to the thing that I'm saying, and that is that Zoom is highly overvalued, and it has been. And it's actually not nearly as overvalued right now as it was back in April and uh, May when people were jumping into it. So uh, right now they're catching on, but the overvaluation is way less now than it was back then. At that time, it was about 16,000. Now I want to say it's in a few hundred range. Then BlackBerry. BlackBerry stock is soaring. What? Now, I know you're probably like me and you're thinking, well, BlackBerry does phones, right, Nev? Well, yes, they used to. Now, BlackBerry, also known as CrackBerry, because that was the first phone that we started, like, you know, going crazy on. And hey, if you're old enough, raise your hand if you have ever used one of those puppies. <coughs> Excuse me. Shares of BlackBerry uh, soared 34.6% in active pre-market trading Tuesday after the security software service company and Amazon uh, announced Amazon Web Services Cloud Business announced a multi-year global agreement to develop BlackBerry's intelligent vehicle data platform this will allow automakers to provide a secure way to read vehicle sensor data and create insights from that data automakers can then use that data to create a vehicle in vehicle service so crackberry is turning into crack cars <laughs> crack cars speaking of crack cars uber is eating postmates yes they have officially acquired it and they're rolling that puppy out. Now, one of the things that is very interesting to note is that Uber still remains unprofitable, even though even though everybody has been going crazy and still buying the stock. This is crazy to me, but hey, welcome to the new normal and new economy. And now it's time to start switching slightly into the crypto sector. And we're, of course, when we're in crypto, we're going to talk about the taxation components because guess what? That puppy is coming and you still have a bit, little bit of time, but you do have time to think through things. Now, first on the, the chopping block, if you would, I don't know that it's being chopped, but Libra is being chopped. It's actually they're just changing their name. So they're changing name from Libra to DM to distance itself from Facebook. I don't know how that is going to distance it, but hey, that's one of the things that is happening. So if you are going out there and thinking to yourself, I'm going to buy some Libra. Hold on to that thought. You got to switch it over to Diem. Now, they've previously changed the name of the wallet. Now they're changing the name of the uh, crypto itself. Speaking of crypto itself, it's time to talk about the grandpa crypto Bitcoin. Almost 20% of all PayPal, PayPal users have used the app to trade Bitcoin. And that is very interesting and important to remember because 20% doesn't seem like a whole lot. But if you think about the fact that they have about 350 plus minus, what's a few million between friends, uh, 350 million people um, uh, on the platform itself, 20% accounts for about 70 million people that have gone into it. 
And one of the things that is interesting, they're actually not charging any fees, which makes it very, very interesting. And the fact that it is, you know, 70 million people going in and doing it for free. Some people have decided that they were going to start trading and uh, don't do that because one person found themselves banned from the service when they did that. So, hey, you have been fairly warned right over here. Now, here comes the news and important stuff of what the IRS will want to know when it comes to your holding. And, uh, you know, we did hit the brand new all-time high in Bitcoin. Since then, we did come down. And you know what? Let's go ahead and take a look at the charts right now because I think it's very, very important. Right now, what we're looking at is the chart of Bitcoin. And Bitcoin right now is trading at approximately $18,880. Actually, matter of fact, let's go ahead and take a look at what it is trading on. And let's see if we could refresh this puppy. So right now from CoinGecko, we are getting that Bitcoin is currently sitting at a pretty $18,934.78. Ethereum is at $593.13. XRP, 61.5 cents. Litecoin, 87.80. They actually recovered nicely. Bitcoin Cash at $291.78. Link is up, uh, actually down 2.2% for the day. Currently trading at $13.63. ADA is at 15.7 cents, uh, Polkadot at 5.21, uh, Binance uh, coin is 30.37, um, XLM Stellar is uh, down yet again at uh, 18.5 cents. So we're having a bit of a mixed thing within the markets. We do have a biggest gainer is Sushi yet one more time at 20% over the course of 24 hours with the close uh, uh, competitor being, or the closest competitor being Ave at 11.7%. Then we have Rune, um, EGLD, ESD, Near, and so we're seeing some DeFi tokens that are being uh, ones that are pumping for sure. On the losing end of things, we do have a, a few on the quote-unquote bigger side. Vite is down 6%, Ocean is down 5.2%. Uh, OMG is down uh, 3, Dash is 3.3, ETC 3.2, NMR 3.7. Again, I'm not quite sure what's going on with CoinGecko, but maybe they will fix their algorithm and their uh, sorting feature uh, when it comes to this thing. So I, I just read it as I see it, but I should be paying more attention, and that's an important aspect for all of us. And looking at the chart, we are actually seeing that we've gone from the high of that 19 800 plus minus down to about uh, 18200 and we are starting to looks like right now form yet another triangle pattern uh, we'll see if it's going to hold right now uh, we have crossed over the 200 uh, moving average is above the 50 day showing a bit of bearish pattern right at the moment but again we've seen this before and this is only a 15 minute chart and if we were to switch over to, say, a two-hour chart, uh, we would actually see that we are still very much in a bullish pattern uh, for sure with the 50-day moving average being absolutely above the 20-day, uh, sorry, 200-day moving average. And you actually can see this beautiful triangle pattern form even stronger. It means that it's probably going to bounce within this stuff 
coming to an average maybe of about $18,763 or so per Bitcoin. And at that point, we'll see my prediction, my presumption is that it's going to go on up. But again, nothing I say here is financial advice, nor be, should be used as that stuff. And we're going to be talking about some taxation stuff. So that also know it's not taxation or legal advice at all whatsoever. I'm just going based off of the articles and my own personal layman's knowledge of the stuff. Now, the probability is much higher, in my humble opinion, for Bitcoin to actually go up than down from this triangle pattern. But that is something to be watched for sure. Now, speaking of the Bitcoin, you might have made some money. You might have transacted within it. And now the question is, what do I have to report to the IRS? If you're outside of the United States, you might want to consult with your uh, tax professional. And even if you are within the United States, you might want to consult with your tax professional. Here we're going to cover some of the basic stuff, but I think uh, you will need to understand what the rules are within your specific country and location. So if you are cashing in on the Bitcoin or you've been transacting with it or you're wanting to do much of anything with crypto, you're going to have to report that to the IRS in 2021 for what you have done in 2020. And of course, if you want to, you know, you're going to have to file that within your individual income tax uh, return. If you have crypto transactions, you'll also need to report them. If you received any crypto for free, meaning airdrops and that kind of stuff, you will still expect it to check yes on the front of your tax return. If you engaged in some virtual currencies for goods or services, you also need to answer yes. And the IRS considers virtual currency to be a property the same way that it treats stocks or other investments. So if you have bought something, for example, Ethereum, and then you exchanged it for something else, say uh, Bitcoin, for example, you, if you've incurred capital gains in that exchange, uh, if you capture the gain, then you'll need responsible for the taxes. Now, when it comes to the exchange of that Ethereum for, say, fiat, that makes it very easy. But if you exchange your ETH for Bitcoin, for example, do connect with your tax advisor because it is possible, it is possible that you might be able to claim a light kind exchange and not have to necessarily pay taxes. Again, I don't know if that's for real or not. I don't know if they will actually approve that. So do check with your CPA, okay? Give them a call, find out from them to understand will that trigger any uh, gains or losses, any taxable event or not. Typically with property, if we're saying that they are, and here is what there says right over here, the IRS considers virtual currency to be property. Well, typically with property, if you exchange property, so say, for example, I hold a one-bedroom, one-bathroom condo, and I sell that, and I use an exchange service, and I exchange it over for a two-bedroom, one-bathroom uh, house, for example, and if I have done a 1031 exchange, as it's known, a like-kind exchange, uh, then you don't have to actually pay any taxation on any gains whatsoever. You, of course, don't get uh, any deductions for the losses either, right? It's a like-kind exchange. It's only if you sell and get the cash uh, that is within it. And if you want to learn more about 1031, 
we might want to cover that maybe tomorrow so you definitely want to come in tomorrow for sure okay fair cool all right done so that's something for you to know crypto payments if you have been uh, paid in crypto for work uh, then if you receive it from an employer it's treated like wages this is the part that gets very very confusing right so you could actually have bought some ETH and now that's property but you also could have received some ETH for your services which now that's wages and you need to actually be able to separate it and uh, if it's wages that means that the federal income taxes and FICA taxes also apply you should be receiving an w-2 from your employer and you should kind of get it that way now if you're an independent contractor and you receive uh, uh, money differently then you kind of have to do it as a self-employed uh, individual if you mine cryptocurrencies you're also required to include your taxable income and you would include the fair market value of the date you received it right so if you receive it on january 1 you need to know what was the price of that bitcoin or ethereum or whatever you received on january 1 right that's the sort of the basis of the whole thing now it talks about well you got to be aware of your basis what is heck is the basis transacted in virtual currency this year note three key points the fair market value at the time of the transaction which is the basis right so the amount you originally paid for the asset and uh, how long you held it for and then what the price was when you traded it for something else so say for example that i go in and i buy a bitcoin uh, actually let's go with ethereum because this is you know the numbers might be cleaner let's say i uh, purchased ethereum when it was hundred dollars exactly right so i purchased it that was sometimes in march april something like that right i purchased it right then and there I use that one ether right and today when it's say $600 right I exchange that for something else right I uh, you know maybe I use it to buy uh, a, a food or a car or whatever right so now I have a 6x gain over the course of whatever short period of the time is right so my basis was $100 my basis when I'm buying something else and selling it is $600. So the difference is $500 and that $500 is then taxable. Now, if I use that $500 ETH to purchase a car, for example, now the car has a basis point uh, of November or December, right? Because we're in December, $500. And if a year from now I sell that car for $1,000, for example, now I have to report another gain. See how that goes? It's a bit complex, so I do highly, 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 highly recommend you use a tax professional to help you out with this stuff, okay? If the holding period is greater than one year, it's considered long-term capital gains. If it's less, then it's short-term capital gains. We're going to take a look into more detail of what does that actually mean for you potentially specifically but the big piece to understand is that there is a huge difference in what you pay if is the if you are holding something for short term which means it's less than one year uh, or one year exactly then you are paying your uh, you are paying basically ordinary income tax so if you're currently in a you know 37 percent tax bracket which is the maximum 
then that uh, gain is going to be 37%. So if you are in a 20% tax bracket, then you're paying 20% uh, on that gain. So in my instance, when I talked about the fact that I purchased, uh, well, it's not a fact, but it was a play pretend, where I purchased a $100, uh, one ETH for $100, and then I traded it at $600, right? Uh, because I didn't hold it for a full year, I go off of my current uh, ordinary income tax rate, okay? So if my income tax rate is 15%, I pay 15%. If it's 20%, I pay 20%. If it's 37%, I pay 37%. But if I purchased ETH at $100 a year ago, or a year and a day is actual terminology that you need to understand. So you need to hold it for a year and at least a day. Um, so say that I purchased it in 2018, for example, right? And today I end up exchanging it. Now I'm dealing with a long-term uh, uh, taxation, right? Long-term capital gains, which means that my tax rate could be at zero, 15% or 20%. And it has to do with your ordinary income and kind of some of the other components. Um, so again, your CPA is going to be crucial in helping you understand that piece. Several software companies providers have emerged, including LucaTax and Bitcoin.tax to help individuals keep track of their transactions and basis. So that's something that might be interested. And again, your CPA might have also a program that could assist you with it. Now that we're on the whole thing, let's talk about capital gains and the profits and everything else because it's the end of the year. And I think it's important to kind of go into that stuff and see, you know, what can be done right now. Now, uh, again, I, none of this stuff is uh, uh, financial advice, tax advice, uh, legal advice, or anything like that. Uh, do consult with legal professionals, financial advisors, uh, tax professionals, CPAs, lawyers, attorneys, right? Use them, don't use this. Uh, this is just meant to sort of get your mind thinking. So uh, here are some of the things that I think are important for you to understand because it's not just necessarily crypto, it's other things as well. Crypto is just a bit more complex piece. The IRS considers almost everything and anything you own except for property used in a business to be a capital asset. And if it's used in a business, then it's used on the business side. And again, there's a separate components within a business sector of the whole thing. So if you have stocks, bonds, other investments like Bitcoin, for example, home, your personal home, uh, vacation property, uh, investment property is a little bit different because, again, it's now it's business side, especially if you hold it as business. Uh, personal use items. I don't I don't think you knew this, like clothing, household furnishing and jewelry, collectibles such as coins, stamps, arts, antiques and so on cars, motorcycles, boats, and any other vehicle you can think of. And every capital base uh, asset has basis, which is typically what you paid for the asset, plus the money you put into improving it. So if you have purchased a home for say $100,000 and you put in $50,000 in the windows and roofing and the bathroom and that kind of stuff, well, the basis for you is $150,000. And that's something that is going to be used when you come to selling the asset. So when you sell a capital asset, the difference between the sale price and your basis is the capital gain if you actually get more than you paid, uh, right? So if I sell the house that we just talked about 
for 200,000, but it was 150,000 after my improvements and everything else, then I have a capital gain of $50,000. If my you know basis was 150, but I only sell it for 120, now I have a 30,000 capital loss. Okay, so both are very important. Short term and long term, we talked about it. It depends on how much you held it. In the short-term gains, again, it has to do with your ordinary income and it falls within your personal thing. So that's the part where you need to understand and your tax um, advisor can help you with that stuff. Now, the long-term gains, we also talked about depends on your filing status and your total taxable income. And so that's kind of where the part that it's going to play. And it's a huge, very, very different thing, right? Where you could have been paying something 37% on the capital gain, you potentially could be paying zero. Well, I'd rather pay zero than 37%, which means I get to keep more of my money, but hey, the IRS disagrees. Now, one thing to also understand is that the capital gains on collectibles is taxed at a very special rate of 28%. So you need to understand that piece, okay? Capital losses from the sale of personal property aren't deductible. So if you sell a personal home, a personal vehicle or home uh, that you, for less than you paid, well, it cannot be claimed as a deduction, okay? So that's one piece to understand. So if you lose money there, uh, you don't get the benefit. See, it's a uh, day when you lose, you lose, they still win. <laughs> you win, they still win. So they win all the time. So you got to be very smart about it. And, uh, you know, uh, this is a plug definite plug for using a tax advisor for sure high income investors may also have to pay a net investment income tax of additional three percent and high income is going to be anybody who is earning two hundred thousand dollars in the u.s or more or who is actually filing jointly with the modified adjusted uh, um, agi right it's it's agi not income sorry it's agi uh, of over 250000 if you are coupled and filing together. If you inherit a capital asset, your holding period is automatically long-term, regardless of when that individual who left it to you purchased it. So if your parent purchased something in, say, July of this year, but they passed in October and you have it and, uh, you know, now you want to sell it in December, um, it's automatically long-term, but do, do, do check in with your uh, accounting professional. When you sell your home, you don't have to pay tax on the first $250,000 gain from the sale. However, that exclusion is doubled if you are married couple filing jointly return. To qualify, you also must have lived in the uh, in the property uh, for minimum of two years in the last five years okay so that's something to understand so when i was talking about the whole like i bought a house i put in fifty thousand, i i uh, sold it for 200 if it's your personal residence that fifty thousand dollar gain you don't have to report on the taxes right you don't you don't get taxed on that part uh, but if it was held as an investment you would unless you use that 1031 exchange at which point you don't have to pay for taxes, even if it was more than $250 uh, gain. So there you go. This is kind of where we are with the whole piece of the taxation. I hope that you have actually enjoyed it and that you have learned something very interesting. 
um, and that you are enjoying where we are right now within the whole spectrum of kind of what's going on inside the money and the market. I appreciate you for being here, for watching, for listening. And uh, hey, if you are watching or re-watching this live, uh, the internet went kaboom. And so now you just get the upload. So apologies for that. But hey, the show still must go on and go on. We absolutely have, right? If you are listening this on any of the podcasting services, I thank you so much. If there is a subscribe button, I would appreciate it if you joined the show. I really, really appreciate you. And hey, I will see you tomorrow. Until then, stay forever money blessed. And do remember, you are only one deal away.